All right, everyone. Welcome back. We are here for episode 40 of Make Friends Radio. Super big accomplishment, I guess. 40 episodes is pretty, uh, pretty good in the scheme of things. Today we are uh, visited by our new friend, Josh Pearson. Uh, as you can see on the screen here, if you're listening, probably can't see him, but uh, yeah, we're going to have this video too. So uh, welcome everyone. This is Josh Pearson. If you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Um, so I'm a filmmaker and kind of fly-by-night filmmaker for a long time. And I, during the day, I'm also a, I guess you could call a filmmaker too, but I uh, do a video production during the day and um, do a lot of music stuff too. And I'm kind of just all over the place, artistic, uh, big writer. So I think we're just going to kind of tackle all of it. Yeah, sounds good to me. Uh, that's kind of how you got to me was through the kind of art and music scene. So uh, yeah, I'm glad that uh, we were able to make this uh, happen. So let's talk about the reason why we're here, right? Uh, you have produced a movie called Where Sleeping Dogs Lie, I believe. And uh, yep. I had a chance to watch it. Pretty awesome. If you could tell us a little bit about the the story and, and the movie and maybe even the process. Yeah, totally. Um, so I wrote, directed, and did some of the producing on it. Um, I'll kind of touch a little bit of that as we go, but um, basically the movie itself is a crime drama with a neo-noir kind of twist to it and some, and some comedy too. Uh, I think one of the things that I didn't, the funny thing is after I, after I wrote it and I'm, I might jump around a little That's bit, all so good, you buddy. can stop me. Um, after I wrote it, I thought it was more of like a hardcore crime drama. And like in my head, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, when we shoot this thing, it's going to be just dirty and nasty and just like dripping with, you know, um, just sarcasm. And, and I think the sarcasm does come out does. in it, but in a really comedic way, which wasn't something I expected. And uh, it's funny that we did the first table read when I first casted uh, the first two people. Mm -hmm. We did our first table read and it was like just to kind of get a feel for the characters and things like that. And I, I couldn't believe how much I was laughing but I also couldn't believe how much everybody else in the room was yeah. laughing. And it kind of made me realize certain ways that I wanted to film it when we actually did start filming. And it made me um, really uh, not question what I was, what, where I originally was going with it, but that, that it's kind of showing itself in a different way. And I think that a lot of my influences also came out in, in this movie. Um, I think it's really apparent and it's, and it's funny to me that um there was actually a review that was done a few days ago, I think that just posted yesterday or two days ago and I was reading through it and she basically called out every single one of my influences <laughs> and I've never talked to her. I have no idea who this yeah. person is, <laughs> but the movie itself, it's crime drama. Um, like I said, with some comedy and things like that, but it's, uh, it's based in Northern California and it, the year is kind of up for debate, I guess. Um, I really wanted to feel very eighties, early nineties, uh, mostly because I hate I hate cell phones in movies unless it's unless it's needed. I really think that for especially like thrillers and things like that and suspenseful movies, that taking the cell phone out of out of play really works well for it because you know if you have somebody that's like trying to get to a phone but can't get to the phone because the phone's attached to the wall, yeah. those types of things. I think it's just it plays really well for suspense. Yeah, I uh, um, I got a chance to watch it and uh, I really enjoyed it. I haven't had a chance to actually tell you that yet, but that was a it was a really fun watch. It was. Uh, very dark, which I, I thought was cool, but it, it was one of those kind of like, yeah, like sar sarcastic is is the good uh, um, 
good explanation of it. It's kind of the sarcastic comedy that that comes along with it. And I thought the uh, the three main characters uh, really played well together with their kind of back and forth. So uh, I thought you did a really good job there. So thank you. You mentioned Northern California. Was that done primarily locally? It was. I would say eighty percent of it was done in Colfax, okay. uh, which is a for those that don't know, it's about an hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes, um, kind of east of here, northeast of here. And um, it's, you know, the reason we did that was because of the house that, it sh- that it's shot in. So for those that don't know, it's about 80% of the movie takes place in a house. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I did a lot of the things that I did on purpose when I wrote it. Because, you know, when you don't have any money to make a movie, you know, I don't have $200,000 or $300,000 to make a movie. And we knew that, you know, we weren't, none of us had names attached to us. We didn't have a name attached to the movie. So we knew we had to do this on our own. And so I I decided, you know, I have to find a way to write, to, to be myself as a writer and a director while still being able to do it cheap enough to where we can shoot it locally. And um, so that's why most of it's in a house and the rest of it is just kind of sparsed out around Sacramento. Yeah. It was uh, awesome. Where, where was the diner? Was that also in, uh, no, the diner, the yeah. opening diner, it was in SAC. It's, uh, it's Lil Joe's steak, something yeah. or other <laughs> on, um, on, uh, Del Paso. Shout Board. out to little Joe's. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, again, I, I, I enjoyed it. I hope everyone gets a chance to, to see it. And by the time that this actually airs on uh, the 15th, I believe it will be out. Where can people find it? Um, so it actually dropped today on iTunes uh, and Apple TV for, to, to, for pre-orders um, for, to buy it, yeah. basically. And then on the 7th, it'll be available for rent. I'm not sure how much. Um, and it'll be available for rent on the seventh and also you'll still be able to buy it on the seventh and then down the road, um, right now, basically our distribution company is working to secure other rights and whether that's going to be Netflix or Hulu, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, I just know that that's kind of, that's what's going on. I think the fallback is going to be prime. Um, and I, and I say fallback in a, in a, you know, lightly because it's it's you know either way it's, it's awesome. pretty awesome so. yeah i mean they have mr robot on prime so you can't really go wrong with that yeah, yeah. cool well, i'm looking forward to to seeing that as i kind of scroll through the the what to watches and i'm encouraging everyone else you know if you have the opportunity now uh buy it or rent it uh if you see it when it's on amazon prime or hulu or netflix absolutely don't uh, hesitate to watch it because uh yeah it was a fun little watch and yeah it's cool that that was all done by someone locally Thanks, man. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because, you know, it, I don't think independent filmmakers get enough, um, <clears throat> especially right now. There's so much content out there that it's hard for people in general. I mean, for me, for anybody, you know, I don't, I don't care who you are. It's hard to figure out what you want to watch, right? You know, I mean, especially now you're mm-hmm. stuck at home with, especially in California, it's pretty bad right now. We're all stuck at home. We're trying to figure out what to watch on, a, you know, all day, every day Thanks now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think it's it it's really important for um, for independent filmmakers in general that have done features that are getting them out there to be able to get to, to for people to see them, or else you know you might be passing over somebody that's insanely insanely great actor or insanely great writer or director or something like that down the road. You never really know. Sure. Absolutely. 
So uh, when you were filming, did you run into any complications, uh, any kind of war stories for this? I mean, I, I imagine a lot of work went into to this film. Yeah, it was, I'll actually back up a little bit and then I'll answer sure. your question. It's, um, so we shot, it was a 22 day shoot technically, but you know, Hollywood productions and stuff like that, they shoot con con consistently for those 21 or 22 days or whatever it is. And then they're done. They're in the can and then they go and start editing it. Well, we had to shoot on weekends and we did that for like three months basically. And um, where the complication comes in is that the house, I don't know if you noticed or not, but the, the living room where most of the movie takes mm -hmm. place is about 30 feet of windows. So we couldn't black out all those windows because it was literally the house sat on the side of like a, a, a mountain mm -hmm. almost in Colfax. So we couldn't get up there to black out those windows or anything like that to shoot during the day. So we're all working day jobs. We're coming home at like four o'clock in the afternoon on Fridays and then packing up and then all of us caravanning back up there. And by all of us, I mean, if there was about 18 to 20 of us on Saturday mm -hmm. and so we're all caravanning up there every Friday and we're shooting throughout the night until 7am and then caravanning back down and then Saturday night going back up and then Sundays because we only had access to certain locations on weekends and mm -hmm. things like that. And we could only shoot on weekends anyway, because everybody's schedules. We were shooting days on Sundays, uh, like the bar mm -hmm. scene. Uh, well, bar scenes, technically. Um, we were shooting two nights in a row and went straight from the house at 7 a.m. all the way downtown to, or not downtown, Fair Oaks, to the bar to mm -hmm. shoot. And we were there, we were shooting there until two o'clock in the afternoon. And it's just, so when you say, when you say complications, like I, yeah, I think the whole thing actually at the end of the day was probably a giant complication. Sure. It, it turned, <laughs> that we just kind of, you couldn't tell though, honestly, you, you did a, a great job. One of the things I always look for when I watch movies is uh, continuity errors. And after what you just told me, I'm really surprised there weren't like, things moved around in the house or, or something like that, where it was obvious. Are there any continuity errors that you're aware of? So it's funny. We, the, the very last scene mm -hmm. of the movie we shot first and um, I don't, you know, the guys are all wearing the, so the three, the three robbers basically are all wearing gloves and masks most of the movie. And let me tell you, I'll tell anybody this that, that, that will listen to me is for the love of God, don't ever, ever shoot with gloves and masks your entire movie because you will like, especially when you're shooting at three o'clock in the morning, these guys are running around trying to figure out where their stuff is at and like who's wearing what and when they were at. And my continuity person's like, I don't even know what's going on anymore because everybody's all just so drained and tired. Yeah. And, uh, it, there is continuity. So that first, the, the last scene of the movie, there's one shot where uh, Barry, the one with the yeah. glasses, that he's not wearing his gloves. And I didn't even realize it. And I still, I still don't see it, which is the funny thing. But my fiance, Courtney, who's also one of the producers on shout the movie. Out to Courtney. She, I said shout I, outs to Courtney. <laughs> um, she basically kept this whole Thing together from start to finish honestly um she noticed she noticed that continuity error but uh we also got really lucky because the house the the people that own it 
they um really really insanely great people insanely really talented people they're uh, they're both mm-hmm. artists too one of them is an actor and um and then his wife is a uh like a i think she's a cellist in san That's jose cool. and so yeah they were and they were they're an older couple but they were great about letting us actually keep the keep the room the same or relatively mm-hmm. the same so things didn't get moved around that much um there's a few small things like in the garage and and in the kitchen but other than that, I mean, we got really, really, really lucky. It was smooth, man. And by the way, the guy with the glasses is by far my favorite character. <laughs> I'll yeah, let him know I, that. I like that guy. And I like the other the other guys as well. I mean, every, everyone did great, but I just liked his, like, snarkiness. Yeah, I think... The, I think they, they all have a, a purpose, yeah. right? And they all play off of each other pretty yeah, well, I for think. Sure. And, you know, his... It's funny, because, like, so my, my lead, Jess, like Jesse, who plays yeah. Jeff... He, um, I originally, that opening scene, I wrote that years ago. I wrote that opening scene like four years ago and, uh, just kind of hung on to it. And I told myself when I started writing this thing, I was like, I looked at Courtney and I'm like, look, we, I don't think anybody else can play this part the right way. So I'm just going to direct it and I'm going to be in it. And that's sort of, that was the original plan. And then, um, and then I met Jesse through an audition and he just, knocked it out of the park and i was like oh he's just he's dripping with that that ugliness that i wanted in that opening mm-hmm. scene so it was just it was awesome from yeah. there the, i'm so glad i didn't have to act in this thing because i probably can't the main character sure. was for sure grimy yeah, <laughs> i like that i uh, i feel like after watching that i don't even have to really ask what kind of music you're into i, I kind of get the the metal vibe from you um yeah i would say that i'm mostly yeah. a metalhead but um i'm a kind of all over the place to some degree my dad was a uh, so my dad was, was a producer slash recording engineer when i was growing up and a dj so uh i just grew up in the music industry and grew up around rock and metal especially back in the 80s and early 90s but uh i got really into punk when i was a uh, like 18 19 years old um i also listen to a lot of indie stuff now and stuff like that it's just it really depends on my yeah, mood have you ever shot a music video yeah, um, I've shot a couple of music videos, and one of them is getting ready to come out uh, sometime in the next month or two, I think. But it's it's basically up to the band at this point. Um, it's for Deconstruct. They're a local band, but they're um, they've got larger roots mm-hmm. than that. And uh, that video came out great. I'm really excited to see it coming out. But they're putting together like a whole package right now for uh, for labels sure. and things like that. Press so. release. Yeah, cool. So you mentioned that uh, you've got a good. And I've seen a lot of the reviews on your uh, your social media. Um, so you mentioned that someone called out all of your influences almost to the T. Uh, for those of us who are just meeting you for the first time, which is awesome, by the way, um, who are your influences? Um, I, I'm a little all over the place just simply because I think, you know, I say I, I had it, the last interview that I did. It was funny. Uh, he asked me, you know, what what my major influences were because he thought it was mostly like crime mm-hmm. directors and writers and things like that. And I I started thinking about it after I answered the question, where, you know, I think it's interesting. Back in the '80s and early '90s, when you know, I when I was growing up, it was, and I don't know how old you are, but um, it we didn't have access like we have access today. So you know, we basically only had access to what we saw on VHS that we rented from the store and we, or we only had access to, you know, movie theaters. So a lot of what we saw were big blockbuster movies and things like that when we were kids, you know? 
and every once in a while, obviously, we'd rent something on VHS and be like, what the hell is this and where did it come from? But that was rare. And so I, I think my biggest influence is like as a kid, um, initially off the bat was Steven Spielberg, but not, not the traditional Spielberg. I mean, yes, Jurassic Park, I think, is just groundbreaking sure. on so many levels and things like that. And Jaws is as well. But his first movie is Duel. My dad showed me Duel when I was really young. I want to say I was probably seven or eight years old. And uh, it's a made-for-TV movie that Spielberg did. And it was his first movie. And it's, it's intense, man. If, and it really sets a tone for Spielberg's next six, seven movies where he relies on suspense. I mean, if you watch Jurassic Park, you still get all that suspense. Oh, sure. And I think people forget people forget a lot that it's, it's not really a kid's movie, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, that opening scene where the dude gets drug into the, uh, into the, shooter, into the, the rapper. Yeah. That's a good scene. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Spielberg, Spielberg was always a huge influence on me visually more mm-hmm. than anything and suspenseful. Um, and then I got really into Tarantino. Sure. I was, uh, it's funny. My, do you remember pay-per-view back in the day you had to call in to order your pay-per-view? Mm-hmm. And you couldn't just press the button or whatever on your TV. So my parents were, you know, they, they were kind of, my dad worked, my dad worked odd hours. My mom worked odd hours. So I was home alone a lot or I was with friends a lot. And I remember it was like in the middle of the night on a weekend or something like that. And I called pay-per-view and I ordered Pulp Fiction. And I was 12 years old, I think, when it came out. Probably shouldn't have been watching Pulp Fiction at 12 years old. But it uh, changed my entire perspective and it's really that mixed with like Jurassic Park and a few other things really made me realize that I needed to make movies and it wasn't just that I wanted to tell stories because I've always been a writer I just I love the visual aspect of the of telling those stories and I like what it does to people um I think you know with Pulp Fiction it was interesting because he showed me that I that you could tell a really compelling story and with flashbacks and jumping around and things like that and and really see certain aspects of people's characters throughout and um it's funny because i, I did that on purpose in, in where sleeping dogs lie and the girl that did that review from uh, screen critics she's she called it out like five times that it was like you know calling back to tarantino mm-hmm. calling back to tarantino and I, I knew I was doing it because I thought that it was right for the movie. I thought the it was vibe right is the there. The, the, the Tarantino yeah. vibe is absolutely there. I could, I could see that. I will say that your parents are probably much happier than mine with what was getting ordered on pay-per-view though. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, uh, I mean, video, videographer, videography aside, um, I understand you also do kind of professional photography as well, and that probably revolves around the music scene. Uh, take me a little bit into to that aspect of your life. Yeah, um, the photography thing I've kind of fell into because I was I've been a journalist for a long, long, long time. I mean, probably going on about twenty years now, just doing music journalism mostly. I. You know, when I was in college, it was just something that I got gravitated towards because I needed I needed the I needed the the credits. So I just started doing it and like interviewing bands mm-hmm. and things like that. And um, then I got hooked up with a couple of magazines and some bigger magazines and then some bigger ones and then started doing it online when when the print industry took a took a nosedive. 
And I realized when I started doing it online that now it's all me. It's on me to get all these things, to get all yep. the content. So it's not on, you know, whoever the magazine's going to send out to do the, to the photos. And, um, I was taking photos for a long time at shows and stuff like that. I've been going to shows since I was a kid. So it was just a matter of really like figuring out, well, how did I want to do these photos? Like, what did they want? What did I want them to look like? And the first, I mean, I would say the first hundred and hundreds that I did were awful. I mean, they were just God awful, but you know, you learn and you start growing and you take classes and you learn things online and you talk to people, you talk to friends and stuff like that. And you just learn. And, um, like, so that's why I mean, like I fell into it, but when I started getting good at it in my own eyes, like I, I started seeing the art mm -hmm. in it, I started loving it. I loved everything about it. It was just something about, um, you know, not like being in the crowd is one thing, I, you know, especially at metal shows and punk shows and things like that. It's, it's intense sometimes. And you know, it's, it just is, but when you're the one person that 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 those that sometimes potentially huge bands are just looking down at and staring at and they're connecting with you more than they're connecting with the audience sometimes that is such a powerful moving thing and you know bands that I that I love that I've shot and um I mean when I shot Slash it was cool. he looked right down at me and I was just like, oh man, I could die happier right now. <laughs> like, it was just talking to me. I you for know? sure thought you were going to say the Backstreet Boys, but Slash is cool too. Oh yeah. Slash is yeah. cool. So, you know, when, actually let, let's back it up a little bit. When you talk about uh, education and, and that kind of stuff, do you feel like there's a component of photography where you learn more in a classroom setting? Or do you feel like you learn more when you're just out in the field kind of uh, you know, dicking around trying to figure out how things work. You know, uh, it's an interesting question because it, I never went to school for photography or mm -hmm. video. I went to school for journalism mostly. And that was, you know, 20 years ago before obviously it sure. died. Um, and now journalism is what it is clearly. <laughs> um, but you know, I've talked to, I have a lot of friends that went to school for video and, and photography and everything. And, um, I think that everybody's got a different view on it. Uh, I think it has its place. And like one of my buddies, he went to, uh, AI. And I think one of the things that he really took away from it was that it, it did not set you up for success as an artist. It set you up just kind of to give you the basics and to get you like into a corporate environment, sure. really what they're doing. They're not setting you up to do your own thing. They're not setting you up for the business side or to understand how the, how cruel the business is. And, you know, I tell people this all the time is that had I gotten into the music industry or the film industry 20 years ago, heavier than like, like I am now, I think I probably would have drowned and died in it. I think I would have just given up because it's so much on the business end. And if you're not, if you're not ready for that, it can really take you over and just destroy you and destroy any creativity that you have. Um, I mean, hell it, you know, sleeping dogs, basically it, it, it almost did that to me. And you know, it's, um, it's just, a, it's a huge feat for anybody to take on. And I think that, you know, 
you know, doing a full album too for a band is, you know, that's thousands and thousands of dollars too. And yep. it's a lot of time, a lot of effort and it's hard. Studio time and money does not come easily. Yeah. But I'm, I'm completely self-taught uh, for the most part, uh, not on the writing end, but on, you know, the photography and video side, I'm completely 100% self-taught. Yeah. And um, I think that some of that has played in my favor because I think that I come to things with an, with, with a, with an open mm -hmm. view and, and an open eye and I can kind of see things differently from other people that have gone to school, but um, especially right out of school. But there are things that I think I missed out on that are just like, you know, that they probably would have set me higher had probably I gone. nothing a YouTube video couldn't show you though. Nowadays, Nowadays yeah. It, it, man, I, I just want to get I just want to get some movies out there before all these other kids start coming up that are in the mm -hmm. YouTube age because man, they're gonna kill us these all. People <laughs> like doing fifteen second like movies via TikTok. Yeah, it's yeah. It's gonna be a force to reckon with when uh when this thing evolves. So you know, when you're out in the field, and by the way, I looked at your photos. They're all pretty. They look damn professional. So good shit. Thank you. Um, now, when you're out in the field, though, what is it that you're looking for? So if a, if a band is uh, playing or the, the crowd is going off, what is that key thing you're looking for that you're trying to capture in that moment? I don't like, especially with bands, I really don't like band, band members posing for me. Um, it happens and especially with older bands, you'll see older bands posing for you a lot and it's because they know that it's just a job and it's a job for them too. I mean, they enjoy it obviously, but it's a job at the end sure. of the day, you know, bands like Queensryche have been doing this for 30 years, 35 years. And they're just, you know, they know that they need to give the best quality photo out there. So they're going to pose for you and you're going to, you're going to have a few seconds to be able to take a really, really solid photo for a magazine or a blog or whatever. Right. But what I like is for instance, when the guitarist is, um, when he's completely into the moment mm -hmm. and, and all he's thinking about is, is just playing and just the enjoyment and the passion that you can see in their face at that moment, those are the moments that I like to capture. Um, I think it's really, really, really special moment and somebody has to show sure. it. <laughs> so, I mean, when it comes to photography, what is your crown crowning achievement? Like if, if you were to look back at all the photos you've taken, is it slash or have you taken something that is just so spectacular that you're more proud of it even than that? You know, this is going to sound kind of cheesy, but we just had a baby, you know, almost three months ago. So I would honestly say that it's, it's my baby girl. Um, there's a photo of her that I took when literally right, almost right when she was born. Um, they cleaned her up and things like that. And they set her on the table and, you know, did all the things they do or whatever. But there was this photo that I took of her feet that just is really stunning to me. And it's just, I don't know. I love it. I absolutely love it. But from the, band side of things and just other photography pieces there's a band so there's a band called Whitechapel. Mm -hmm. they come around a lot i've shot them a ton i've got thousands of photos of these guys i don't like them that's the whole this is the whole funny thing that i tell so my buddy mark is a huge white chapel sure. fan and i don't i don't particularly like them very much i think they're okay live i think they're great but um I've shot them the best. It's hard to hard to hard way to explain this, but 
my favorite my favorite band shot of all time is is of them. Sweet. So if that tells you anything, it's just odd. And um, yeah, I, I think that I've shot a bunch of bands that I absolutely love, but it's just for some reason Whitechapel just that there's just one shot that I have that I just can't get. You got to share of. it with me. Also, uh, just so you know, you probably broke every parent's heart just now talking about taking pictures of your newborn child's feet. <laughs> Shout outs to, from, well, from dad to another large. dad. <laughs> she has such large feet. I feel so bad for her because me and Courtney both are super uh -huh. tall. So it's like, oh, this poor girl. This poor, poor girl. <laughs> cool. Well, to, uh, to wrap things up a little bit, I mean, what, what other projects do you have in the future? I mean, obviously you're a creative dude with some cool creative things in the past. What, what's next? Well, I'm going to finish this car that's in the background for one thing. Um, okay. it's a, that's a 73, uh, it's a 73 dart sport that I'm converting to a 72 Dodge demon. It, yeah. For those, so, for those of you that are just listening, it's a super dope, uh, red kind of sporty looking car. It's, uh, it's, it's beautiful. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my goal right now. It, it's actually kind of helped me, uh, focus a mm -hmm. little bit because I've been kind of all over the place a little bit. I've been writing a ton, but also not enough, if sure. that makes sense or not the right things, if that makes sense. So it's having the car to kind of just tinker around with and stuff like that has really helped me. Um, but everybody's asking the same question now that sleeping dogs is like fully out. I've, you know, seen it, seeing it pop up on iTunes today was the moment of my life that I was like, oh, thank God, I can finally relax a little bit. Like, I don't have to worry about this project anymore. Well, if you're, if you're anything yeah. like me, you're going to be Googling the sleeping dog's lie over oh, and yeah. over again to see what people are saying and then lose sleep over it. So the stress is probably not over, but when you actually see that pop up onto some kind of distribution, it feels good. It's amazing. I, you know, it's funny, Courtney, I was just randomly after work today, I, was, I sat down and I turned on... Um, because our distribution company, he, he's kind of, he told me it could either be yesterday or today or tomorrow. He wasn't quite sure what day it was going to pop up. And I just kind of randomly searched it today and it, it, it popped up and I just kind of sat there for a minute staring at it. And Courtney walks over and she just starts crying because it's like, it's all that weight on all of us. It's finally yeah, gone. Um, but no edits now. my next, no, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, next project so I, I'm sitting on about six feature films that are written, um, none of which do I really think that I could do at a low budget or um, a remotely low budget. So I'm kind of going, throwing some things around right now. I've got um, uh, some other people that are interested in potentially investing. So they're all kind of hanging in the wings, waiting, trying to figure out what I, what, what I want, what I want to do. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, that I really want to pride myself on as a filmmaker is that I don't do the same thing over sure. and over and over again. Um, you know, so I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure. I, there's a part of me that really wants to do like a, like an adventure film, like a kid's adventure film. Um, there's also another big part of me that wants to do a horror film. So I'm just kind of all over the place right now. And I think I just need to focus myself. For sure. Let me get killed in that um, though. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Definitely dude. Um, but honestly, I think that it's, I think it's going to show its face sometime in the next couple of weeks more than anything cool. I do. well congratulations man uh i really enjoyed the flick i hope everyone gets an opportunity to see it and uh when this whole covid thing is over hopefully we can grab an actual beer instead of virtual beers and uh you know chat a little bit more You're a cool dude and uh, appreciate you coming on the show
Yeah, man, I really appreciate what you're doing and, you know, how you're supporting the arts and stuff like that, especially locally in Sacramento, man. I mean, it's uh, we need more of it, dude. And I love Keep it. Keep sending people my way. So before we introduce our, uh, our guest DJ, is there any positive message? So if you could give just one positive message out there, what would that message be? From the film side of things, I would say, and I say this a lot to a lot of people, is it looks daunting as hell, and it is. It it, it really is daunting, but um, just make sure that you have the right script before you start shooting something, and um, you know it, it it'll mean the world to you at the end of the day if you take the time with it. I think that um, you know story is king, mm-hmm. and you each writer out there has a great story that they're willing, that they're, that they're trying to tell and they want to tell. Um, so just, just tell it, get it out there and let the world see it, man. Cause you know, you only live once. Awesome. Well, Josh, uh, absolute pleasure having you on here, man. Uh, before we introduce the, the, the guest DJ though, where can we find details about you? Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, whatever it is you have out there. Never been on Twitch. So that's a new one on me, um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm on Facebook, Josh Pearson. Um, I'm on Instagram as the Metal Director, and it's kind of become my thing. Is uh, you know the metal side of me and the music side of me and stuff like that. Bring in the film side, and um, yeah, JoshPearson.net. Just kind of all over the place. I'm on Twitter too. Uh, I forget exactly. I think my Twitter handle actually is Metal Director. <laughs> I think so too. I think I was, as I was oh. doing my my online research, I think that was what I was uh, was finding everywhere. So again, thank you so much for your time. This is awesome. Hopefully the uh, Zoom meeting audio comes through pretty well and we can get this thing out uh, to uh, you know, the podcast market here pretty soon. So appreciate your friend. Oh, yeah. And uh, what that does lead us into is our second aspect of the show, which is typically a, a DJ mix. And this mix comes from a new friend of mine, Junior DeVega. He's a local DJ and had an opportunity to, to hear one of his sets and really just was something that resonated with me. And we are happy to introduce you. You may know him, you may not. If not, he's our new friend here, Junior DeVega. You're listening You're to listening Junior DeVega on Make Friends Radio. In the mix.
Watch lights fade from every room. Bedsitter people look back and lament. Another day's useless energy spent. Impassioned lovers wrestle as one. Lonely man cries for love and has none. New mother picks up and settles her son. Senior citizens wish they were young. Cold-hearted orb that rules the night removes the colors from our sight. Red is gray and yellow white, but we decide which is right and which is an illusion.
Oh. 
Because I think I look like her. But that's not the point, okay? I came out here to tell you a couple of things, girl. Because you see, you knew in the neighborhood. If you didn't know, this is my corner. That means I run this bitch. Que dice? I don't want no fucking tacky bitches up here, honey. Okay? You need to conduct yourself properly. So, 
This is how it has to be, mama, okay? Tu entiende, all right? Because I know you're hibara, mama. I probably can't talk English to you because you don't understand, all right? Where you from anyway? Brooklyn. Oh, I thought so. Look more like the Bronx to me, bitch, but that's all right. Anyway, listen. Don't you come and stand out on my corner looking all motherfucking busted and shit. You got that cheap-ass Madonna wig with the ponytail. And mama, that's very played, okay? Puerto Rican girls cannot have blonde ambition. And what color is that lipstick anyway? Fuck me red? Honey, no, mama, I guess I'm tired. Oh, honey, and those cha-cha shoes. Ay, mama, no, I am not feeling Gloria Stefan out here on 14th Street, mama. You better take that conga line someplace else because you ain't going to make no money. That's right, honey. You better learn it if you're going to live it, honey. You better serve it if you want to give it. That's right, I'm talking to you, bitch. And if you keep it up, I'm going to snatch that ponytail out your motherfucking head.
radio, definitely my honor, privilege to join a lot of the DJs who've had the opportunity to drop some mixes on Rick Friends Radio. Hope to join you soon. I hope you enjoyed the mix. A lot of different stuff. Did some house, some classic house, some electro, a lot of modern stuff, a lot of 80s, what I like to play. Good, good mixture of stuff. So, again, thank you very much for joining us on Make Friends Radio. I hope to join you soon again. And leave you with a classic boogie track. Love is on the one. Thanks, and we'll check you out soon.
episode of make friends radio thank you to the contributors josh pearson and junior de vega uh great interview and uh yeah stellar mix man i appreciate it very much uh glad we had the opportunity to connect and uh if you get the opportunity make sure to check the description uh wherever this is posted you'll find links to uh follow uh josh to find the movie uh, to follow Junior and listen to some dope tunes, and uh, yeah, to follow us at Twitch, Instagram, Facebook, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever it might be. Anyways, much love, everyone, and we'll see you on the next episode. P.S. We're going to do another shirt run on August 1st, so if you're interested in some merch, keep your ears peeled, and uh, let's make it happen. Thanks for the support, guys. Love you. Bye.